The scripture this morning is from the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. Hear the word of the Lord. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. This is God's word. Good morning, Stonebridge. As we begin our final passage in this series on Philippians that began on January 5th, I'd like to start with a story of a young man who in the year of 1810 received a call to go to the mission field. He went to a uh, conference of those who were going and doing missions. Um, at that point, much smaller overseas missions wasn't really a thing yet here in the United States. And he ran into a woman whom he uh, eventually courted and married by the name of Anne. Two years later, full of excitement and joy, they boarded a ship headed for Burma. Their goal was that over the next six months, they would travel, they'd arrive in Burma, and because she was pregnant, they would have their first child. On that ship, she did give birth, but contrary to their expectations, it was a stillbirth. The child was buried at sea. This really was just a sign of the way things were going to go for them in the future, looking back historically. Um, over the next six years, they studied hard, they learned the language. In that time, they did, uh, one person did come to faith uh, in Burma also and became pregnant again, and she gave birth to their second child, but that second child also died. Um, fast forward, they continued doing ministry, they moved to another village, um, and was pregnant again, and a war broke out between Burma and certain Western powers. At that point, um, this young man uh, was arrested under suspicion of being a spy. For 17 months, he was held in a Burmese jail 
And according to the Encyclopedia Britannica and other sources, he was brutally tortured. Also, while he was in jail, you see, when he was arrested, his wife had been pregnant with their third child. She gave birth, but because each day she needed to travel two hours to plead for his innocence and to make sure that he was fed, in the process of sustaining him and pleading for him over 17 months, many historians say that she actually traded her health and the health of her child for his. So when he was released, on the brink of death, she was able to nurse him back to health, but nine months later, she passed away. Six months later, the child died. This missionary would go on to have two more wives. The first of those would also pass away. They would have seven children. Five did survive, but two also died. That puts the count at five and five. And eventually, he himself, on a voyage back to America because he was ill, he would die. Many people say that his life was full of sorrow upon sorrow. But in his ministry, in that time, he planted a church in Burma. Not just one, but many. Historians credit to his family's ministry over 500,000 Burmese believers. Today, over 1,700 churches trace their lineage back to him. But he didn't know that's what God was doing. My question as we go into our passage today is what sustained Adoniram Judson? What kept him going, chasing after what the Lord had called him to? Let's pray. We're going to dive back into the scripture. We're going to read, uh, Philipp, I'll read Philippians 4, 8 through 13 to you because we're camping out at the section on contentment. And then we'll go into the rest of the sermon. Let's pray. Father, as we read your word, coming from our different contexts, Lord, context as Kevin mentioned, where some have been furloughed, some some of us have lost our jobs. Father, there may be some who are watching now who are ill with COVID-19 now or some other sickness and afraid to go to the hospital because of coronavirus. There may be some watching now who know those who've already died because of COVID-19. Father, as we read these words, we ask that you would by your light, connect us to your spirit, connect us to the eternal, and allow us to see the gift of biblical Christian contentment and what it means to have a deep relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Starting at Philippians 4.8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, 
If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Today, as we work into this passage, we're going to do it in three phases. There we go. The first is we're going to ask, what is contentment? And this is important. We have to define the term because when we speak of these large concepts such as contentment or love or even success, oftentimes there are two different views. There will be our societal view, but then there will be actually a biblical view. And so as we look at contentment, when I think about it, I think of movies, I think of this idea of things that are hard won, I sit down at the end of my life with my family around me, no needs, that's sort of a societal view of contentment. But we need to understand the contentment and the power that Paul, that Christ is promising us. So we're going to spend a good bit of time there. Next, we're going to look at the power for contentment because this claim is audacious. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This isn't a claim about athletics or sports that I can climb the highest mountain. What this is saying is that Paul is confident that whatever circumstance he is in, he can walk into that circumstance and by the power of Christ, maintain contentment. And this promise is there for us too. So we're going to see what is the power for contentment in our lives. And then just briefly, the power of contentment. How does this affect the way that we live in our day-to-day life? As we define terms... We need to start with something that that should just be in our face. Contentment is not being free from a sense of affliction. It is not being free from a sense of affliction. And if there's any definition or any part of contentment that is really going to disagree with our societal understanding, this is it. But Jesus invited us to pick up our cross and follow Him. Now, you may look at this and say, okay, I'm not interested in that contentment. You may already be a little bit less interested. But think about it. This is a reality check. Christian contentment, indeed Christianity, doesn't invite us to ignore reality or hide behind paper mache. It doesn't invite us to live in in this false imagined world. Christianity is built for the real world world. The love of Christ is built for the real world. And so as we look at Christian contentment, it's designed for an existence. It's designed to sustain us in real situations. 
So contentment is not being free from a sense of affliction. Also, contentment is not passivity or complacency. It's not just sitting back at home leisurely on your couch with a six-pack, although that is okay sometimes. Rest is okay. We read in our passage, peace is promised, but it's not passivity or complacency. Even as we spoke of and prayed today, contentment frees us to, and we'll see this, it frees us to engagement with the world around us in the name of Christ. It also frees us to engage with our affliction. It's okay to ask questions such as why and how long. You may be an individual who was furloughed. You may have lost your job. You may be sick. You may know someone or have a family member who's sick or dying. It's okay to ask questions such as why and how long. See, this is one of the ways we feel God's love. He invites us to bring our questions. And though he doesn't ever guarantee a quick answer, he does guarantee he will meet us in that place of suffering. Friends, it's okay to ask for deliverance and comfort. If we, if we couldn't pray to God and ask for deliverance, we'd have to throw out half the book of Psalms. And what about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Lord, if possible, remove this cup from me. But not my will, thy will be done. It's okay to ask for deliverance. It's okay to share our burdens with our friends and our leaders, with our mentors. You don't have to just bottle it up. You don't have to pretend like everything is hunky-dory and okay. That's not real life. That's not Christianity. That's not what Jesus calls us to. He calls us to live in reality. And it's okay to appropriately seek relief from our afflictions. I have to be honest, I would not have thought of this point. I, I got it straight from Jeremiah Burroughs. I reworded it. He's a uh, 17th century Puritan. He wrote a phenomenal book that I can recommend for you, The, um, the Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. You can download it as a free PDF. There's also somebody who in 2019 published a uh, a, a rewrite of that, modernizing it. But his point here is that it's okay to appropriately, not inappropriately, not sinfully, but appropriately seek relief from our afflictions. His first example is actually through the magistrate, what we would call the government. If we're suffering injustice, the government's there to protect us. They're there by God's design to bring order we can go to our church leaders. We can go to friends around us. We, can, we don't have to sit. We don't have to martyr ourselves. So contentment allows us to do these things. Contentment is not some of these things. What is it? Now, Jeremiah Burroughs once again gave us a definition 
Christian contentment is that frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Christian contentment is that frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. I know, a mouthful, even having said it twice. This is the way you boil it down. You're probably familiar with the verse Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God, those who are called according to his purpose. So how do you boil down what Jeremiah Burroughs said? Jeremiah Burroughs, the way you boil that down is you take Romans 8.28 and you say, I can with confidence look at my circumstances and say, although they stink, somehow God is working for good. Now, let me stop there. That, that's, once again, an audacious claim. That's why this passage is so... Really, it's shocking when you read it. I'm not saying that we say God is the author of our negative circumstances. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we say that God is responsible for sin or anything like that. What I am saying is that we look at our circumstances and we realize what they truly are. If we've lost our job, that's hard. If we're sick, that's terrifying. Right now we're in an age of uncertainty. What do you do with that? We look at the circumstance and we're able to step back and say, I know that God is good. I know that he is loving. I know that he is not absent and that he has a plan. So though I do not like right now, indeed right now might be horrendous, I know that somehow he is working that to a glorious end in which the universe is remade and he unwrites the afflictions of today. And from that point, we can follow with 1 Thessalonians 5 and give praise and thanksgiving in all circumstances. See, if we have that type of contentment, a contentment which is based off of stepping back, not pretending reality doesn't exist, but in stepping back and seeing that God's hand is on all of human history, guiding it unerringly to a beautiful reconstruction of the good creation he originally made, then what contentment does is it frees us. So here's my definition of contentment. Contentment is freedom. It is the freedom to fully live our lives in light of who God is and who he made us to be. It's the freedom to not be constantly worrying about ourselves and our own circumstances. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough to worry about on its own, right? It frees us to live into who God created us to be. 
And he created us to be in his image. What I like to tell people is that in the beginning, God created all things and he created them very good. He was the original good maker. We are in his image. So we are to be good makers. We walk into every circumstance making them better than they were by our very presence. But how can we have this contentment? What is the power to believe that right now, in the worst of my circumstances, God is present and it will turn out for good? To Scripture. We'll start with the bottom first. John 10.10 I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's Jesus speaking in chapter 10. He came to give us that abundant life we were just talking about. A life where we live into our identity in God because we know He's got our back. And then Proverbs 19.23 The fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. I brought in this verse because oftentimes when we talk about Jesus, our perception of him is that Jesus loves me, Jesus. Now, I love that song. I sing it to William every night. We sing, my wife and I sing it to our girls every night. Jesus does love me and this we know. But that phrase, the fear of the Lord, packs so much more in. This talks about him as the creator, as the one who spoke all of existence into being with a word, the one who has a plan, the one who indeed came to earth, though he was in heaven, the one who gave up privilege so that he could be poor, the one who lived a perfect life and yet received malice, evil, blame, guilt for it. The one who should have been held as a king and was willing to die because his plan was that he would die so that we could have life. And his plan was that he would come and live among us so that we would have a high priest, so we would have a God that we could go to and say, you've been here, you've been in the muck, you know how bad it is. And he would be able to respond, yes. But I also know how good I'm making it. The fear of the Lord wraps all that up into that phrase. The creator God who is by his very plan, by his very work, drawing everything to a good conclusion. And so the power for contentment is meeting the creator God who laid aside his rights to give us life. 
the one who loves us so dearly that in Philippians 4.19, in our passage, he says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This isn't clear, this clearly is not talking about physical wealth. This is talking about how he will meet us wherever we are to allow us to be content, to know that whatever our circumstances, our home is in heaven. Now, you may be listening to me, you may be at home right now, still thinking to yourself, but how does it help me in my current circumstances? I know Jesus. I've met him. I know what he's done for me. Friends, in that situation, we have to get into the definition of the word contentment just a bit more. See, the origins of it, Paul actually took a word from Greek philosophy. It was a word used in Stoicism to talk about making oneself independent. It was a word talking about this self-discipline of shielding oneself off from all the experience of reality, effectively creating a false reality to live in. And what he does is he retools it, he redefines it. And he says that if we're in connection with Christ, then we can learn. Because remember, that's the phrase he says. He says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am. As we are sanctified and as we grow in Christ and as we grow in our faith, we can learn to experience contentment. Adoniram Judson, after his wife and his third child died, three months later he received a letter learning that his dad, whom he had not seen for over a decade, had also died. He went into a five-year depression. He struggled with these questions, but when he came out of it, he had learned the secret of contentment. How do we learn that secret? Well, somebody, three weeks ago, Kevin, preached a sermon on Philippians 3, 17 uh, to 4, 1. I butchered a little bit his main idea, which was keep your eyes on where you're going. But he reminds us we start by keeping our eyes on Christ. A week later, Doug preached a sermon about the peace which surpasses all understanding. How when we are when we are just burdened by anxiety. God says, bring it to me. Pray. Share with me honestly. I want to hear. I already know. And bring it with thanksgiving. Also acknowledging the positive things. Also acknowledging that God is working. Begin to train ourselves to take the good and the bad and hold them both in our hands. And to ponder the beauty of Christ and the beauty that he's making. My friends, if you're struggling right now, I would say go back to the last three weeks' sermons. Because Paul was giving us the secret for contentment right there. He shared it with the Philippians and he shared it with us. This isn't a guarantee that you'll go through these things, watch these three sermons, and this afternoon everything will be hunky-dory. But even as one of my professors said when I was in seminary, and I paid attention to this man because he was 90, 
He said, there will be times of suffering that come into your life and you don't know how you're going to get through them. But God did invite us to bring our anxieties and sufferings to him. And though they will not be relieved, maybe that day, maybe that week, or maybe that month, he will bring us through. And then we will enjoy the peace which surpasses all understanding. In that situation, then we will learn what C.S. Lewis communicates here. He who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God alone. See, this is a great summary of what it means to enjoy Christian contentment. If we have God, we have everything that matters. Just a word on the what then, living out of contentment. Friends, once we learn to live this way, like we said, we are free to live into who God made us to be. And we are freed without fear, without self-concern, without worry. To fully love those around us. And in that, we will have the blessing of imaging Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that though Christian contentment is not an easy thing, it is real. Thank you that you do not pawn to us snake oil or lies, but that you meet us in the reality, the reality of where we are. And that you show us that your love is greater than the worst of our circumstances. It is in your name we pray. Amen.